focusing this morning is verses 15 through 23 of Colossians 1. And let's read those again, starting back in verse 13, since all of 15 through 23 are grounded in verses 13 and 14. So let's read those verses again. There's not too many of them. And then we'll have them fresh in our minds to hear them preached. So Colossians 1, verse 13. He, that is God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So far, the word of God. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ. A couple of weeks ago, we focused on the big idea or the big prayer in Colossians. That's Paul's prayer in uh, verses 3 through 14, that they would be filled, the Colossian church would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So we saw there's the source, that spiritual wisdom that leads to the knowledge of God's will in the daily applications in our lives. So the letter was written to impart wisdom, to give perspective, to show the way that things really are. We saw that that's the definition of wisdom, to see things as they truly are, and then to know how to live accordingly. So that's Paul's goal, and we want to keep that goal in mind as we're working through the verses in front of us. And when you see things as they really are, then everything else falls into place in the smaller details. Uh, So our our goal for ourselves as we work through this letter is to take this letter to meditate on the truths that are in there that Paul lays out for us and take them to heart knowing that those truths are going to shed light on everything else in our lives. They will uh, transform and redirect and govern our entire course of life. If we know those truths well, they are life-changing. Another way to think about this is that uh, the book of Colossians is intended to serve as a compass for the Christian life. People who are lost in some unknown terrain or perhaps in a heavy fog where they can't see the, the features of the landscape or even at night in darkness, they need a compass 
in order to know how, uh, where to go. And when you have a compass, the first thing you'll do is you'll level it out and find true north. You want to know where north is, because when you know where north is, then you know where everything else is going to be found. Uh, then you can map out the whole direction you want to go. Well, that's what Paul wants to do for the Colossians here. He wants to use this letter as a compass to show where true north is. And once you know that, then they will know in all the details of their lives how God would have them live. Now, as I mentioned last, uh, two weeks ago, Colossians is an immensely practical book. Don't forget that, especially this morning as we work through some amazing theological truths that the whole point of Colossians is to serve as a foundation for a very practical set of instructions. Uh, Paul's prayer, again, in verses 9 through 12, uh, speaks of them walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, very practical uh, things, bearing fruit in every good work, having endurance and patience and joy, giving thanks to the Father, all these very practical things that Paul wants to see in the lives of, of the Colossian church. But they come out of that foundation of gospel truth. So before Paul gets into all the practical details, he's going to start by orienting us towards true north, the true north of the gospel. He wants, to see, he wants us to see things as they truly are, and then we will know how to live accordingly. Well, that's what verses 13 through 23 are all about. It's one of the most amazing passages in the Bible because of the majestic and the massive truths that are laid out there concerning Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to focus on this morning. We just want to take the next 20 minutes to dwell on who Jesus Christ is and all that Jesus Christ has done for us. And when we see him as he is, then we will see our lives also as they truly are. And then there's no end to the applications in the details of our lives. It is a life-transforming truth to know who Jesus Christ is. So Paul starts with the big truth uh, in, verse, in verse 12. But we're going to start back even a verse before in verse 11. So let's take a look again at, at the prayer here. His prayer is, May you be strengthened with all power. According to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks. He's about to tell us many good reasons to give thanks. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 12, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the big gospel truth that Paul lays out. And this is the biggest, greatest, most significant truth in your life. This should be on the front page of every newspaper every single day. Uh, every time you check the news, I, I've started to make this a habit. Every time you check the news, many of you check every day, uh, you should, your, first, your first thought should be, you know, the real news for today is I have been taken from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God's Son. That is more significant news than anything else you'll find on your phone or on the newspaper it's way bigger than any other news that you're going to read. So the question that Paul wants to ask us is, is this a big deal to you? 
Uh, you were part of the dominion of darkness. Do you know this? You were under the rule of Satan, spiritually ruled by hatred for God, hostility to God, and, and hostility to other people. Uh, the, the way that so much of the world still is, if you look around, again, you read the news, you see that hostility everywhere. And God, Almighty God, has taken you and brought you out of that old dark kingdom into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom you have redemption and the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, God has said, I'm going to take this person and I'm going to make them a living member of the kingdom of Christ where they will remain the rest of their life on earth and then on into eternity forever. Well, brothers and sisters, this is the greatest news you will ever hear. And it is absolutely life-changing when you know it. Everything that's behind you, your past, your sins, your hurts, they are all a part of a past that you will never return to because you have a new identity, a new citizenship, and a new future. You belong to Jesus Christ in his kingdom, and his kingdom is going to prevail forever. That's the greatest news you'll ever hear. Uh, So, brothers and sisters, Paul wants us to wake up every day, and we should, rejoicing. The first thought of your day should be, thank God I am part of an eternal kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ that will never perish. Uh, You should rejoice in this. And I know I I preach this as much to myself uh, as well. We should every day rejoice in this truth. What news that you read could possibly compare with this? This is our true north then. When we're oriented to this gospel truth, then everything else in our lives begins to make sense. And it is is life transforming. If I'm going to be part of the eternal kingdom of the Son of God, an unshakable inheritance, if I've been taken out of that old dark kingdom of hatred and hostility to God and been made part of the kingdom of God's Son, which one day is going to reign over the earth forever, then my life now, in the in-between, is going to look different. Every work of darkness, every piece of that old kingdom that still exists within me, hatred, envy, greed, lust, everything that characterized who I used to be, who all of you used to be, who you would be by nature when you once belonged to the kingdom of darkness has no more place in your life because you're headed in a new direction. You belong to Jesus Christ. Uh, when you know this, then, it's the, the truth of this works its way down into the smallest details. Now, let me say something briefly about the, the situation in the church in Colossae, uh, because this will also help us to understand where Paul is going in the next verses. We don't know too much about what exactly was the, the heresy or the teaching that that was being uh, promoted in the Colossian church. There's books and books and books uh, about it. And and it's all speculation. We don't know what it was. Um, But one thing that does seem to have been there, 
was there was an unhealthy interest in many of the Christians in that church, an unhealthy interest with angels and with the spiritual realm, uh, such that there were people in that church claiming to have some access to the spiritual realm, to spiritual powers, and they they gained that access through the worship of angels. You see that in chapter 2, verse 18. So there was this, this cult around certain angels and this belief that by communing with these angels you'd have access to heavenly powers. Um, And this teaching was apparently significant enough for Paul that he devotes a number of parts of this letter to to showing how, how ridiculous it is when you know you belong to Christ to go chasing after some angels that are supposed to be giving you spiritual powers. Angels have nothing over against Jesus. Why would anyone get excited about access to spiritual powers through angels when you have access to Almighty God through Jesus Christ? So, in case you thought that being part of the kingdom of of God's Son, the kingdom of light that will reign forever, in case you thought that that was no big deal, Uh, such that you need to up the ante by having also access to special angels and powers or belonging to some club or particular group within the church, as if that's the really really big deal, Paul wants to lay out six amazing truths about Jesus to help captivate us again with wonder at the truth of, of the gospel. Number one, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is not just some some teacher or some holy man. He's not just the leader of some great uh, worldwide sect or religion. He's not just the founder of the greatest, the, the largest religion in the world, though Christianity most certainly is. Jesus is not just that. Jesus is God. The invisible, eternal God became visible in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, John 14, verse 9, Jesus tells us, He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you know God? By knowing Jesus. How do you know what God is like? By looking to Jesus, seeing him in Jesus. Jesus is God in flesh, in human form. Uh, Verse 19 says it as well. In him All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. What do angels have over against that? You see, brothers and sisters, you have been taken from the domain of darkness and and brought into the kingdom of Christ. And Christ is not just some, some great king, some great man who happens to be king of the world. He is God. He doesn't just have a a good chance of prevailing over every other kingdom and every other power. He will prevail. His kingdom for 2,000 years has been growing, establishing itself on this earth and will keep on establishing itself. No power will ever prevail. Jesus says to himself, Matthew uh, 16, he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against my kingdom. And remember, those are defensive. Gates are defensive weapons. It is the kingdom of Christ that is advancing and prevailing. And it is God himself at the helm. Uh, So Jesus 
and his kingdom will endure forever and will conquer every other rule and power. So it's not only, it's not only a big deal that you've been brought from a, a bad kingdom to a pretty good kingdom. That's not the gospel message here. Uh, you have been brought into the kingdom of God, ruled by God in the person of Jesus Christ. Your angels, your spiritual powers have got nothing on this king. There is no greater news you will ever find within the church or outside the church than the news that you belong to Christ. No belonging to any particular sect or special club is more significant than that. That was number one. Jesus is the, the image of the invisible God. Number two, he's the firstborn over all creation. Now this one's a bit tougher to understand. Uh, when the Bible uses the term firstborn, uh, we also sang that in, in Psalm 89 uh, in, our, in our book of praise, verse 10. Uh, when the Bible uses the term firstborn, it refers to a position of, of preeminence and dominance over all others. And it also has an implication for a future inheritance. It doesn't necessarily refer to order of birth. Uh, when we hear the word firstborn, it, it, it literally means being born first. Uh, but that is not, uh, at least not always, what it refers to in the Bible. Sometimes it refers to the first person born, uh, and sometimes it refers to what you would call first rank. Uh, so in Psalm 89, which we sang, it's a messianic psalm that speaks of God's promise to the future Messiah, which is Christ, and God says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So there that word refers to first rank, rules over all others. Now, there are groups uh, in, in our country that have departed from Orthodox Christianity. Uh, they're, they're groups as old as the Aryans in the three and four hundreds and the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses uh, in our day who, who teach, who, and they use this verse to teach that Jesus is not God, but rather just an exalted creature, the first part of creation. They take that firstborn literally. Uh, and, and so they say he was the first created being, but nonetheless merely a creature. And that's completely missing the point of what Paul is saying. Uh, here the term refers to a first rank over all of creation, and the one who will inherit all of creation. And, and you can see that that's what Paul means. Uh, if you look at verse 16... Because there's that, that word for, so it's an explanation, so why, uh, it, it explains why. It says he's firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created. Well, all things means all things. Jesus created all things. He is not a creature. He has first rank precisely because he is the creator. That's the very point that Paul is making. So one can easily steal a verse out of context like this and, and turn it around to make it look like it says something else. And this is what Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses will do with the being and the person of Jesus. Recognize here that is not the point that Paul is making. And here is the point that Paul is making. Jesus, as the one of first rank, 
is also your king. He is exalted to the position of ruling above every created thing and is the one who will inherit all of creation. Through him, everything was created, visible and invisible. You notice Paul's little jab at those angel worshipers. Uh, Through him, everything was created, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, including, by implication, every angel, every spiritual power, every demon was created by God, was created by Christ, and every king And every prime minister and every president was created by and for Jesus Christ to be inherited by him. And this is why this this has to be such amazing news for us. It is no small thing that you have been brought from a kingdom of darkness to be made part of the kingdom of God himself who rules now and will rule in perfection over all of creation. One day, every king, every president, and every prime minister will bow the knee to Jesus Christ. That's the kingdom that you are a part of. In Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 7, uh, you have a vision from Daniel. He lived 500 years before Christ, and he had a vision of the the future ascension of Christ, and he writes it down. This is Daniel 7, verse 13, and he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, that's a term for God, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. What you need to understand, brothers and sisters, is that's the kingdom that you've been made a part of, that everlasting dominion that will not be destroyed. And you have a privilege of reigning with Jesus in that kingdom. Every other kingdom on earth is passing away. And the day is going to come when he will reign over all creatures in perfection. When all creatures will obey him and serve him. And his enemies, uh, from 1 Corinthians 15, his enemies will be subdued under his feet. And then you will belong to him and will reign with him forever. Uh, Again, in Daniel 7, verse 18, it says, The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. I don't know how this isn't on the news every single day. It really should be on the front page of every newspaper every day. There is no greater news than the kingdom of Christ ruling over the whole earth. Number three, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The kingdom that you belong to by God's grace is so much more than than just one king among many other kings or one kingdom that's particularly good among many other kingdoms that aren't. Uh, He is the only king who is before all things. In other words, totally self-sufficient, having existed in eternity as God himself, 
second person of the Trinity. And it is by his power that all of creation holds together. He not only rules in, in the sense of directing our lives, directing, uh, changing the course of our lives to obey him. He's not only ruling in that sense, he also rules in the sense that nothing happens outside of his control. Down to the smallest details, he holds the universe in existence. So we need to know that, that Jesus, the Son of God, is no less in authority, in glory, in majesty than God the Father himself. God the Father upholds and sustains the universe. We confess this in our catechism in, in Lord's Day 10. Uh, and he does this through the working of Jesus Christ. And, and so again, for these Colossians who are all excited about these angels that, supposed to, that are supposed to give them some special power, if they think for a moment that any spiritual power can give you some advantage that you don't already have in Christ then they don't yet know who Christ is. This is why we as a Reformed Church also don't pray to, to angels or, or to, to saints or to loved ones who are deceased because they have, they have no power that we don't already have in Christ. This is why we also reject any use of, of horoscopes and, and the use of psychics to access uh, spiritual truths. It's not because we don't believe in that spiritual realm. We do. The Bible clearly teaches there, there is a spiritual realm. And it, it's not even that people cannot access that spiritual realm. Uh, the Bible speaks very seriously about psychics and, and, and things of that nature. They are to be taken seriously. But we also know that they don't have an ounce of power that isn't already ours in Christ. It is given to them, if they have it, it is given to them by Jesus, and it is on loan to be used for his glory, and if they don't, they fall under his judgment. Why then would you look for power in the stars, if you're looking into horoscopes, or in any other spiritual power when all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to King Jesus. And you belong to that king. It's a rebuke then to the Colossians, and it should be a rebuke to any Christian who continues to look for power in spiritual places outside of Jesus Christ. Number four, he is the head of the body, the church. We need to recognize that there are many people vying for that position as head of Christ's church. People that claim a, a special access or insight into his power. People that come with special secrets or, or spiritual sounding uh, teachings that are intended to seduce others under their control. It happens all the time. Uh, people that claim to be prophets or apostles but then come with a different gospel. Uh, this, this kind of thing was especially rampant a couple hundred years ago in, in the United States. Something about the culture of that day just caused these, these people to proliferate. Uh, so just in the 1800s, you, you get the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Seventh-day Adventists, the Christian scientists, which has nothing to do with either Christianity or science, the spiritualists, 
the Christadelphians, the Unitarians, and a dozen other small cults, all of them just in the 1800s in the U.S. And, and the reason that these things happen, that in certain times and seasons, people just run after these sorts of leaders, the reason is because they have a small Jesus. They don't know who Jesus is. They're unimpressed with Jesus, so they go looking for other leaders. Well, Paul wants us to know that if you're a Christian, you have one head, and that is Jesus Christ. And this is his church and nobody else's. Jesus Christ is building and gathering his church around the world and converting hearts to himself, and none of those other cults or sects will ever last. They will all fall away before King Jesus. They will all perish. And this, this too, is, is big and amazing news for us because it means that we don't ever have to go looking for any other spiritual leader. We have Christ himself. We belong to his church, and nobody will ever take us out of it. And one of the things this means for us practically as a church is that uh, no pastor and no celebrity pastor ever gets to be the head of Christ's church. It's a temptation that we fall into in our own day where we run after personalities and celebrities. Uh, in our church, I am not the head, nor are the elders the head of Christ's church. We don't get to decide what gets taught in this church. We don't get to, if, if there's a certain doctrine we don't like, we don't get to erase it and pretend like it's not there. This is Christ's church. He rules over the church. Conversely, this also means for you as members uh, that you are also not the head of Christ's church. The church is not run like a business where, uh, where the members are the customers and they get to decide what gets taught and, and, uh, and how worship is done. Both the leadership of the church and the members of the church must submit to the single, all-authoritative headship of Jesus Christ. His word governs what gets said and what gets done in this church and how each of us also live in our own lives. And, and this too, uh, though this may come as a rebuke, this too is wonderful news because there's no one that we would rather have to be head of Christ's church than Christ himself, the one who gave his life for us, out of love for us. Uh, Jesus is the head of his church, not only by, by virtue of creation, but also by virtue of having bought us with his own blood. Uh, the Belgian Confession says it so wonderfully. Uh, it says, There is no creature in heaven or on earth who loves us more than Jesus Christ. If we had to look for another intercessor, in other words, someone who could pray for us, could we find one who loves us more than the one who laid his life down for us, even while we were his enemies? And if we had to look for one who has authority and power, who has more than the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father and who has all authority in heaven and on earth? This is amazing news. Not just that we've been... Uh, uh, made a part of a new kingdom, but we've been made a part of the kingdom of Christ, the greatest and the most loving and good and righteous king 
who ever lived. Uh, We've been bought by his blood. Our sins are covered and paid for, and we belong to him and he to us. Number five, he is also the firstborn from the dead. The, the, the news gets better and better. Uh, here's the thing. If you read the news, uh, what's the most horrible, tragic news you could ever find? Maybe dozens, hundreds, even thousands of people die in a tragic accident. That's the, the, the worst the news can get. What's the best news you can find? Well, maybe a, a new treatment for cancer. Maybe some evil regime uh, being toppled. Maybe hundreds or thousands being saved uh, from death. I read in the news just this morning. I said before I opened the news, I said there's no greater news than that I belong to Christ. And then I opened the news, and I read in the news this morning that, uh, that over 400 humanitarian workers were just saved last night in Syria. Uh, the Israeli Defense Force um, had a special mission, and they, they pulled these white helmet workers out of Syria. It's amazing news. 422 workers and their families saved from death. Now, that's good news, but here's the reality. They weren't actually saved from death. Death was just put on hold for them a little bit longer. The greatest news that we will ever uh, uh, read in our newspapers and on our phones is still governed by the ever-present reality of death. Nothing takes that away. Uh, No news is worse than death, and no news is better than a temporary escape from death. Because apart from Christ, the best news that you can hope for is 70 or 80 or 90 or maybe 100 years of life, and then still death catches up to you. Well, Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead. That is the greatest news you'll ever hear. The one to whom you belong is the firstborn from the dead. He has gone through death and come out the other side, and he promises to take you with him. Uh, Here, Paul is using the term firstborn in in more of a literal sense, being the the first to be born out of death. Uh, In other words, the first one ever to overcome for good the power of death. Uh, But he's not the last. He's the firstborn, but he is not the last born from death. You have been made to belong to him, and that means by the same power by which he was born out of death and came into life, you too will rise again. The day is going to come when our bodies, uh, planted like seeds in the dirt, will rise again and the perfect kingdom of Christ will reign and we will be there as well. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ is the first fruits, very similar word to firstborn, the first fruits, the first part of that massive harvest that is coming, and you know it's coming because the first fruits have already come. Because of Christ, death no longer has the final word over your lives. And you who belong to Christ are going to be part of that day of resurrection. You will see the greatest news imaginable with your very own eyes. That is wonderful news. And finally, number six, and here Paul sums it up with the big idea. This is in verse 19. If you missed everything else, make sure you hear this. Paul says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven 
or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the biggest news in world history. The fullness of God, all the fullness of God, was pleased to dwell in the person of Jesus Christ. And so God came into this world, lived the perfect life, died the perfect death to pay for your sins, to bring you into the perfect kingdom. Now, uh, you might stumble over the phrase, all things. It says he's reconciling to himself all things, uh, because that might sound like Paul is saying that all people will also then be saved, that all people are covered by by Christ's blood. Uh, That's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is that the worst news of the world, Genesis 3, the fall into sin, is now eclipsed by the greatest news in the world, that through Christ, God is bringing an end to the era of sin and darkness and slavery to the devil. Uh, The rebellion that started in Genesis 3 is coming to an end in the, the ascension and in the resurrection and ascension of Christ. One day it will be over and all things will be restored. And here's the thing. You have the most glorious privilege of being a part of that restoration of all things. That's what Paul drives home then in the last verses, verses 21 to 23. He says, and you, now it's about you, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So that's who you were, alienated, estranged from God, separated from God, hostile even towards God in your minds, hating God, angry with God, arguing with God, in rebellion against God, too proud to listen to God, uh, hostile also towards one another, hating one another, being hated by one another, using, abusing one another, and abused yourselves by others, and also doing evil deeds, utterly lost in the kingdom of darkness, right where Satan wanted you. That's you, where you once were. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. In other words, he has reached out to you. He has made peace between you and God by the blood of Christ. He has bought you for himself and brought you near to himself to know him to love him, and to live with him as you were created to do because he has become your father and you his children. Continuing that verse, in order also to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. So it is not just that evil, hostile sinners have been made a part of the kingdom of Christ in spite of themselves and now they will be in that kingdom uh, but totally unworthy to be there and still hostile to God. But rather, having been made a part of that kingdom, you will now also be changed. And you are already being changed. His goal is not just to reconcile you to God, but to renew you, to sanctify you, to change the direction of your lives, to cleanse that which was once dirty and shameful, to teach you how to love him again, and to love one another as you were created to do, to make you into the people that you were created to be, to discover true joy and life in perfect, peaceful, eternal fellowship with God. So it is not just a change of location, it is a change of being 
for each one of us who belongs to Christ. And that's, that's the big news. That's the true north that we need to see. That's the spiritual wisdom that Paul wants us to have that will then work its way out into the details. All that Christ has done and is doing and will do for those who belong to us. That's the foundation on which we stand. And so in verse 23, Paul urges us then, continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. Don't shift from the hope of that gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which he had become a minister. That's the truth that Paul wanted the Colossian church to stand on, and that's the truth that we in Alora Canadian Reformed Church also ought to stand on. And it's an amazing, glorious gospel truth. Without comparison, the greatest imaginable news for your life. Well, I hope then, as we reflect on these truths, that we can be filled with wonder again. The rest of this book of Colossians is going to keep coming back to these glorious truths to remind us of all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ and that we have the awesome, uncomparable privilege of being part of God's kingdom and sharing in Christ's inheritance. Uh, That's the true north that Paul would have us have. And it, it does take some some time to meditate on those truths, to let them sink through our minds all the way down into our hearts. And so I would encourage you, I'd plead with you even, to spend the week meditating on these truths, waking up every day. Make it a practice. If you like to read the news, make it a practice to remind yourself, here's the greatest news of all history, that I belong to Jesus Christ and his kingdom is going to win over every other kingdom. When that truth sinks in, it does transform our lives and it transforms them completely when we know who we are in christ we will become new people by the power of christ and that is paul's prayer for us so let it be our perspective let it shape our priorities and our understanding for god's will for our lives our purpose and our goals for this life and our hope and our confidence for the future all in christ amen Let's worship our Savior and our King by singing from Psalm 98, stanzas 1 through 4.